Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Angela Santamara will join us to discuss the preschool clues. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Well, raising kids is never easy, and more so in the age of screens. How much screen time is too much, and can screen time actually be rewarding? Well, joining us today to discuss this issue is Ms. Angela Santamero. She is the co-creator of Blue's Clues and creator of Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood and Super Y. She has written the new book, Preschool Clues, and she's on the program today to talk a little bit about parenting in a screen-filled world. And Ms. Santamero, we're very pleased to have you today on the Grok Science Show. Oh, thank you so much. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Well, certainly our pleasure is certainly, I think, a fascinating topic, especially for anybody with kids. You, uh, having created all of these uh, award-winning shows that uh, anyone with kids certainly has been exposed to, why did you decide to write this book? You know, I talk a lot to parents uh, around the country and talking about what goes into making the shows that I make in terms of the the child development background that I have, and also if I could pull out the important formal features that are a philosophy of mine. And so that turned into these 11 universal truths, so these 11 clues that are in across all of my shows that all have a child development theory behind them and some research and also just to talk about, you know, why you don't have to feel guilty about letting your kids watch really good content and really good media because we put a lot of thought and time and research into into making it. And so that makes a distinction that put it kind of like good diets and bad diets, that there could probably good screen time and bad screen time. How is one supposed to discern the difference? Well, you know, I wish there were nutrition labels on media, right? And that's the the kind of thing that, you know, we're looking to do in terms of outlining how you can look for what is good for your family and your morals and your beliefs and what you want your kids to be learning and also how you can be a critical viewer to make sure that even though something says it's educational, is it truly educational and how is it hitting your child? And so I use things like a a metaphor for healthy green media smoothie that has um, a little bit of sweets in it for the entertaining feature that, you know, kids really want to come and watch and love these characters, but also has an educational component and how to discern between um, between shows that are truly curriculum-based or have a formative research behind them or also have an intent to teach or, um, you know, talk respectfully to your kids or give them some time with the pacing time to pause. And then also this interactive component is kind of my third um, ingredient, and that is just not just interactive to the screen, which I definitely do with a Blue's Clues. You're, you're interacting with the screen because then you're practicing skills, but also shows that will will inspire you once the TV is off, once the screens are off, it inspires you actually to go paint or draw or run outside and collect things in nature. You know, those are the kinds of things we're looking for um, to use media as a tool 
Mm. And, and this is not just limited to shows. I mean, certainly there are elements of uh, new media as well, right? Well, everything, right? It's everything that we either watch or play on screens. And I use it as an example of how we then can use it as tools for our parenting, you know, in terms of activities and thoughts and thinking about how we talk to our kids. Um, and how we are looking at scripting and looking at the way our dialogue is and all those kinds of things. So, yeah, it it translates across media um, as well as into our everyday interactions with kids. Mm -hmm. Of course, this is probably a challenge for most people. I mean, have a feeling of what's good and what's bad, but how do we guide our children to focusing on the the good media versus the the bad one? Yeah, and I think, again, it's like it is trying to say not don't feel guilty about it, you know, in terms of, um, using it in terms of using it first and foremost. So I really just want people to be educated and not stressed out that this is another thing that they have to do. It's just learning about that media is feeding our kids' brains and that we can demand high-quality shows, right? That we can decide basically by watching or not watching whether or not something gets a ton of views or doesn't. And, and um, I think that we just have to keep that that conversation going so that we consistently raise the bar for media because we know how much it's affecting our kids, right? We know their practicing skills and there's a lot of positive research in the book about all the positives that media does and then also what, you know, in terms of what happens when you have to talk to your kids about something that they had seen that you might not thought they were emotionally ready for. Of course, many people are familiar with your award-winning programs, Blue's Clues, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, Super Y. What are the sort of things that you try to place into those programs that you felt were the program more educational than standard fare? You know, I think that one of the things that we do is we're constantly looking for higher order thinking and not just, um, obviously, a drill and skill. So it's not just that we're slapping curriculum on top of a, of a property. It's that we're actually incorporating and integrating it into the soul of the show, you know, and that there's such a process that we go through in terms of bringing our scripts at early stages out into research as well as testing it at an animatic stage. And again, all of this is with a creative intent because we know that we want kids to want to watch first and foremost. Um, But we put things in like um, respectful communication. We put pausing in terms of the pacing so that it's adequate for a two to five year old to really think. Um, We talk about modeling, peer modeling, how important it is when Daniel Tiger eats grilled chicken and broccoli versus french fries, you know, like just how important that is because, you know, there's so much that we can do as parents, but so how amazing it is when somebody else can reinforce what you would love and so your kids are are kind of surrounded by it, right? Um, Humor and and music and, and things like that that we do very carefully um, and use very carefully within our shows. I, I don't know how many times we've sung, you got to try new things because it might taste good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad I used that example then. There you go. Uh, exactly. Well, and so you actually codify a lot of these things in your book, the, the 11 clues, as you put it. And, and reading through them, I can see how they, they come up in the show. But I'm curious if there may be some of these clues that you think are more important than others or, or they're better in certain situations than others. You know, I think that it's interesting because I did an epilogue where you can take you through leaving like a 15, 20 minutes of somebody's life and how you can go through all 11 of them, you know, because it's about, it's about taking that, talking to kids on their level, right? And if they're having a problem, let's say, about sharing, uh, you're, you pick your child up from school, there's a little bit of a playfulness about um, the excitement that you have or they have. You know that they're excited, right, to see you and you have that excitement to see them. Um, and then they're talking and you're noticing verbal visual, visual clues. You're noticing that they have a problem 
with a kid at, at school. And instead of jumping in and solving that problem for them, it's asking the questions is, a, is first and foremost. And then if I put media into that equation for a second, it's about then choosing that Daniel Tiger episode where he can't, for instance, where he's having a hard time sharing. And so then again, you're surrounding your kid with with um, thoughts and ideas that you would agree with so that they, so that he could then or she can come up to you with some more ideas about what you could, what he could do the, tomorrow to deal with this situation because what we want to do is set up our kids to solve problems um, and they're so motivated when they have a problem, right? Like they own it and they're passionate about it and they want that, whatever thing it is. And so we want that same passion about solving their own problems. And so how do we do that and how do we set them up for success? And so that's how everything kind of goes into the parenting mode. I mean, I think I'm, I use TV just as a medium, you know, for the, for the work that I do in terms of what I would love to be saying to the world and saying to kids um, to give them a voice to change the world, basically, if I could think really big. It, it seems as if the whole philosophy is both trying to get the uh, understand their own feelings and then, of course, be able to communicate them effectively. And Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, something as simple as listening, um, there's a ton of research on effective listening, right, and how that, that um, empowers kids, how that can give you this feeling of respect and this feeling of pride. And I use it as a four-beat pause that I showcase on you know, on, on my shows in terms of that level of pacing, but when you do it in real life and you're looking somebody in the eye after you ask them a question, and this is at any age, and you actually care about what they're about to say, so you're pausing as opposed to either thinking of the next question or answering your own question, right, and filling that space, that quiet space, um, that's, a, that's a big deal in terms of effective communication and just asking and also answering only the questions that kids at this age have, right, and not putting more onto them that makes our job hard, harder and is actually not, they're not necessarily ready for that. Mm-hmm. Is there any particular area where you think children have sort of difficulty in terms of dealing with their feelings or, or expressing them? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I have to be in a safe, secure environment in order to do that. And I think first and foremost, and then also, it's, you know, we tend to say everything is either happy or sad, you know, or mad, right? There's there are three. And all of those, you know, there are so many different colors to them. And so I think trying to put a, um expressive vocabulary around those is just going to help them um, as touch points as they get older to, stop, to, again, to solve problems, right? And so I think once they learn how they're feeling, what they're feeling, how to express what they're feeling, then they have more of this ability to, um, to help get what they need, right, and how to, how to get, feel better and make themselves feel better. And I think at every age, from when they're babies and they learn how to self-soothe, right, that they're able to do that for themselves, um, and then at, at, at preschool age that we're helping them do that, you just want to know that when you put them out in the world at 18 that they've got all of those skills. Do you think the progression in terms of how to establish these skills is is important as well? I mean- yes, absolutely. I think that I, I kind of think of it as a fence. Um, and when kids are little, you know, the fence is obviously when they're babies, right? The fence is like very, very small um, in terms of around you, right? And swaddling them and baby wearing. And then as you start to, as they start to get older, it's older, right? The fence um, widens out, and so they're able to safely run around by themselves and and make their make some choices. But we've created this kind of border for them so that there's a safety net. And then as they get older, it's it's bigger and bigger, so that. Um, they definitely know, they feel safe in the world and they, and they understand um, their place in it and that they have that level of independence. But yeah, I think that sometimes we throw them a little bit too soon into the adult world because they 
you know, they're so smart. Kids are so smart and they're, they're savvy, but emotionally they still develop in the same way that they did years ago. They're just exposed to so many more things. And so we just still have to have that safety net. And then the conversations then change because of that. Like, for instance, I would say not to have kids under five watching the news or understanding what, you know, in terms of the news, what's going on until they ask us a question and if they had heard it from somebody else and then we can answer the questions they have. Um, and that's something that I think um, shows that, that border, that fence that we would want to put them in so they believe in the world, you know? In the introduction to your, your book, you mentioned how you began to think about all of your ideas as, as you yourself became a parent. Has your philosophy changed at all or, or do you think it's solidified your, your thoughts? I think it definitely evolved. I've been doing my work for 25 years, right? So I'm dating. I'm dating myself. But um, it's definitely been, I've been editing it, right, in terms of in terms of um, adding and, and making a richness for it. And as my own kids get older, um, watching that foundation grow in terms of, in terms of, really feeling that that teenagers are just big preschoolers in terms of that level of foundation once they have because it's the same kind of thing that we're doing it's just we're doing it with with different language and at a different level Mm. well we are really slightly out of time maybe you have some final words uh, regarding parenting in a screen-filled world yeah I, i think what i would say is you know there's a lot of questions about how much is too much and i think if we if we put it more on good quality and knowing that not all content is created equal and then and then thinking about the media as one piece of the puzzle and then offering other things off channel for them to be able to do that they're inspired from the shows to do I think we'd all feel a little bit better um, about including media in our lives you know opening the door to our living room and letting all these characters in our in our house you know they're all the ones that we'd want to have lunch with it's good advice. <laughs> uh, the new book is called Preschool Clues, Raising Smart, Inspired, and Engaged Kids in a Screen-Filled World. The author, Ms. Angela Santamero. And uh, Ms. Santamero, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. Oh, thank you so much. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.